I'm preaching a series of sermons on praise the Lord. And that, that's what we should be doing as human beings and especially as believers because our theme verse, Psalm 150 verse 6 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, right? So if you're breathing, you ought to be praising, right? And if you don't do it, Jesus said the rocks will. And they're going to receive the blessing instead of you. So let's be praising the Lord. Our personal verse is Psalm 119, 164. Seven times a day I will praise you for your righteous laws. And our assignment has been seven times during a day we will simply pause and give praise to God. And uh, man, I hope you've been doing that. I've been doing it. And, and what I found out is as you start doing it, it is impossible to praise God just seven times a day. Eh? You, you, you just want to continually give him praise because it keeps you connected to heaven. Uh, a verse that I came across this week that I really wanted to preach on, but the Lord kept me where I was supposed to be. Uh, another verse, though, is, is found in Psalm 113. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. And so, church, we are here today to praise the name of the Lord. Amen? Oh, boy. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Amen, that's it. We're here to praise God. And we're going to find out from our story today that as we learn how to do that, it comes along with some great benefits to us. In fact, we're going to talk about the processes of praise and really what happens to a person when they are in a crisis situation to help them get through that and come out on the other side. And in fact, I've entitled this morning's message, I've changed it since I sent it to Devin. That was the title a few days ago, but I've changed it. It is now, How to Make It Through a Mess. Okay? How to Make It Through a Mess. How many of you have ever found yourself in a mess? You know what I'm talking about. A mess, a crisis. Something has gone awry. Something has gone haywire. You are in a mess. You know what I'm talking about? So again, let me ask you, how many of you have ever been in a mess? Everybody raise your hands because, I mean, we've all been there, right? Uh, I do cowboy action shooting. I've told you that before, and it's a pretty cool sport, if you want to call it a sport. We get to dress up in cowboy clothes, and we're shooting real guns with real bullets. Uh, it's on a timer, and, and right before that, that timer goes off, generally speaking, we say a cowboy line, okay? Maybe it's a line that was used in a, in a Western movie. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're serious. Uh, one of my favorite lines, though, is one that, that Keenan Cowpoke made up, and it has become my all-time favorite, and here it is. It's from Keenan. My horse didn't make that mess. I love that, man. Then beep, and you start shooting your gun. My horse didn't make that mess. Wait, here's what I found out. Sometimes we do make our own messes. I've made plenty of them. Sometimes we don't make a mess, but we find ourselves in somebody else's mess. And they've dragged us into it. And we're right in the middle of it. And we've got to get out of it. But you know what? Whether you've made your own mess or whether you're in somebody else's mess, it's never good to stay there. And I tell you what, if I had a dollar 
for every time someone has told me, Pastor, my life is a mess. If I had a dollar for every time I've been told that, I could take all of you out to eat lunch today. Because we all find ourselves there. The deal is, how do we get out of the mess we're in? God will help us. And in fact, in this amazing passage, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it outlines the process of getting through a mess. The background of this passage is a crisis of such proportion that there is absolutely no human alternative other than despair and defeat. In other words, everything in 2 Chronicles 20 was a great big mess. But you know what? That really shouldn't be too shocking for us because life is filled with messes. In fact, Jesus is the one who said to us, in this world you will have trouble. He went on to say, but be of good cheer. (laughs) I have overcome the world. And we're going to find out how to be overcomers today. Now, the chief character in our story is this guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. So I want to talk about Jehoshaphat here just for a second. He was the king of Judah. Now, it's interesting to me, Judah, the name Judah literally means praise the Lord. Isn't that cool? It really is. In fact, I've got a whole sermon on that. But it means praise the Lord. The Lord was with him because in his early years, he walked in the ways of his forefather, King David. He refused to consult the followers of Baal, and so the Lord established the kingdom under his control. The Bible tells us that he sent teachers throughout the land to teach the book of the law. And such was the blessings of God upon his reign that neighboring kingdoms refused to attack him, but instead they brought tribute both to himself and to Judah. At the peak of his greatness with wealth and all honor among the nations, Jehoshaphat allied himself with the wicked king Ahab by marriage. Huge mistake. That mistaken alliance subjected him to the conditions which precipitated the crisis that we read about in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Now, a word about King Ahab. He was the king of Israel, and he was a wicked man. He asked Jehoshaphat to join him in attacking Ramoth-Gilead. In fact, he had Jehoshaphat and his entourage come to Israel, and they had a big powwow about it. And they consulted, they consulted God, all right? He had all the prophets of Israel come in and say, if we attack Ramoth-Gilead, will we be victorious? And without exception, all of, quote-unquote, the prophets of God said, yes, you will be victorious. In fact, one of the prophets made horns of iron, and he clashed them together. And he said, if you go against Ramoth-Gilead... You will consume them and defeat him. Jehoshaphat wasn't completely assured of this. He said, okay, isn't there another prophet in Israel that's not here today? I've I've heard about this other prophet. Why why isn't he here? Could could we have him come? And Ahab said, well, there is another prophet, but I don't like him very much. (laughs) 
He never speaks favorably for me. The problem was that prophet always spoke the truth of God. And Ahab wasn't living a godly life. But just, just to satisfy Jehoshaphat, he said, yeah, there is another prophet. We'll go get him. And so they sent messengers to Micaiah to bring him. And the messengers told him, listen, all of the other prophets said, yes, go against Ramoth Gilead. You will be victorious. King Ahab told us to tell you, you say the same thing. Micaiah said, well, you know, guys, in short, I'm, I'm giving you the will version of this. He said, you know, I would like to, you know, appease the king, but I can't do that. I speak for God. And so I'll say what God tells me to say. And so he spoke for the Lord, and he said, you can go fight Ramoth Gilead. It will be the biggest mistake you've ever made. And by the way, King Ahab, you're not going to make it out alive. Now, this made all the other prophets of God a little ticked off and so they confronted Micaiah and they said how is it that we can speak for God and in unanimous decision say you will defeat Ramoth Gilead and you're the sole prophet who says that we won't I love I love what Micaiah says he says well the Lord has given me an answer for that too they had a vote in heaven this morning and the vote was to send a lying deceiving spirit to your tongues and you have just told a lie well, that didn't make him happy. The God who made the iron horn slapped him. <laughs> King Ahab didn't like him, and so he sent him to prison and just fed him bread and water for telling the truth. That's another sermon, another story. King Ahab and Jehoshaphat did go into battle against Ramoth Gilead, but King Ahab never returned from that battle. He was the victim of a nameless, aimless arrow. Someone from Ramoth Gilead just drew a bow back, shot an arrow, it went up in the air, and it came down and struck King Ahab and killed him. Jehoshaphat was spared because he entered the battle in disguise, and no one recognized him as the king of Judah. Upon returning to his palace, Jehoshaphat was informed by the seer, that is the prophet Jehu, that he had made a tragic mistake in helping the wicked. And loving those who hated God. And after a stern reprimand, Jehu said to Jehoshaphat, There is, however, some good in you. For you have rid the land of Asherah poles, and you have set your heart on seeking God. Now, that was a hard lesson for Jehoshaphat to learn. But having learned that lesson, he seemed to turn even more devotedly towards God than ever before. He appointed judges in the land that demanded that they administer justice in the name of the Lord. In Jerusalem, he appointed priests and ordered them to administer the law of God in the settling of all disputes. He reminded the people that if they sinned against the Lord, his wrath would be upon them and they needed to repent. His recovery from backsliding seemed to be complete because he said this in chapter 19, verse 11. Act with courage and may the Lord be with those who do well. And so we're thinking everything's okay now with Jehoshaphat. Everything is good in the land of Judah. And it was. That is until Jehoshaphat found himself in the middle of a great big mess that he couldn't get out of. The peace of the palace was broken 
by the startling news that a vast army consisting of three nations had gathered together and now they were marching towards Jehoshaphat and his people. Well, he he didn't know what to do, so he called all the people of Judah together for a prayer meeting. And the very first words that came out of his mouth as king of the people were not addressed to the people. The very first words that came out of his mouth were words that he addressed to God. He prayed. And can I tell you something? When you're in a big mess, the best thing you can do (laughs) is pray, all right? So we have his prayer. I'm going to read it to you. Is that okay? All right. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It starts in verse 6. Here's his prayer. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you... Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying... If calamity comes upon us, whether by the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us, and you will save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you have given us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Man, What a fantastic prayer. And this prayer teaches us about this process of praise that we're learning about today. Now, before I get into the steps to help you make it out of the mess that you're in, let me just talk about this prayer because it has some pretty unique observations in it. Did you know that you can pray without praising, but you can't praise without praying? And I believe your praying needs to include some praise. And that's what this prayer is all about. This prayer is a reminder of God's exalted position. Look at verse 6. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Now, church, this is a word of praise Pure and simple. Jehoshaphat is giving praise to Almighty God, the exalted one. But here's the deal. God knew that every word Jehoshaphat uttered was true. It was no more true after he said it than before he said it. But you know what? Jehoshaphat needed to say it. Because praying like this steals the turbulence of our troubled soul and it causes faith to rise up inside of us because it's a prayer praise god you're exalted there god there ain't nobody like you you are the high and holy one 
You are awesome in all you do. Number two, this prayer is a recounting of God's efficient performance in the past. Verse 7, O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give to the descendants of, your, of Abraham your friend? So, so what Jehoshaphat is saying is, is something like this. God, I've, I've, I've read the record of the past, and I know from reading that record that your record is perfect in the past. You have a perfect record. You always come through. You always do the right thing at the right time. And in his prayer, Jehoshaphat indicated that he believed that God's record would stand. He's done it in the past. He'll do it today. Now guys, this is huge, practically speaking, for, for us. Uh, I, I have been in so many messes in my life. <laughs> Most of them, my own creation, all right? But I get in a mess, and, and here's the first thing I need to recognize and realize. I need to realize, you know what? I've, I've, been, I've been here before. I've been in a mess before. And you know what? God has come through every time. God's never failed me. God is always true. His word is always applicable. God is there. He's a refuge. He's a strength. And if he's done it in the past, he can do it now. That's pretty good stuff. And he is affirming that in his prayer. Number three, this prayer is a reliance upon God's enabling power. Verse 9, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or the plague or famine, we're just going to stand right here in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we're going to cry out to you in our distress, and we know that you're going to hear us and save us. Why? Because you're God, and you have the power to do that. What a great prayer. It is a prayer of praise. And so the first thing that you need to do when you find yourself in a mess is not say, oh me, oh my. You need to say, oh my God, I come to you and you pray to God. Now, I'm going to spend the rest of my sermon talking about steps that can take you through the mess that you're in out victoriously on the other side. And really, for the rest of this chapter of 2 Chronicles 20, all we're going to do is merely observe the elementary processes by which praise operates. And I think it would be best for you to relate to these processes through the framework of a crisis of your own. Do you get that? So whatever your mess is, think of your mess right now. Think of your crisis. And if you don't have one that you're going through, just borrow one from your neighbor. <laughs> I'm sure, they, I'm sure they have a couple. They, they wouldn't mind loaning one of those to you. So I never have a sermon. I usually don't have a sermon with seven points. But there are seven steps to get through the mess. And don't worry, we'll, we're not going to spend a lot of time on each one. But you need to write all seven of these down because they are all inclusive and important in getting you through the crisis you're in. Step number one, you need to clarify the problem. You need to start at the point of the problem, and you need to state it. You need to speak it. You need to spit the problem out. Now, there was no attempt on the part of Jehoshaphat to glass over the problem. There was no compensation, no rationalization. He faced his problem squarely. Now, of all the therapies there are out there, I like reality therapy the best. 
because it keeps us in the reality of the moment. And reality, reality therapy demands that we do the same thing. You know, so often we play games and we cover up the fact of a crisis with an attempt to distract us from the real crisis that is at hand. You, you just need to face your problem squarely, whatever it is, and look it in the eye and state it as it is. That's what he does in verse 10. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And they're marching towards us to destroy us. We were good to them a long time ago. Now they're going to be mean to us. Now, it, it, it might have been one thing if there was only one army, the Ammonites coming, or the Moabites, or the men of Mount Seir. But it was a coalition of three armies. This was a huge, massive army. The problem was serious. Would you not agree? This is a crisis. It's a huge mess. The fact was plain to see. It would have been a waste of time to downplay the severity of the situation. <clears throat> because it was real. They were marching. They were coming. Time out. I, there's a big football game tonight, isn't there? There'll be a few timeouts in that game. Time out. That was Jehoshaphat's problem. What about your problem? What about the mess that you're in? First thing you need to do is just state it. Spit it out. Say it. Tell it to God. You yourself need to hear how serious it is. God knows how serious it is. But you need to speak it with your own lips so that you can hear with your own voice that you understand how serious your problem is. Don't coat it over with superficial slang. Don't laugh it off. Don't throw a pity party. State the problem as clearly and as accurately as possible, sparing no details to hide your feelings. And when you get to that point, you, like Jehoshaphat, will be ready for step number two. So number one, clarify the problem. Number two, cease all trust in the flesh. This is so vital that I could not possibly overstate it. The flesh so often prevents us from looking to God as our sole resource. Listen to Jehoshaphat's words in verse 12. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. Now, th that was a confession of human inability and human infirmity. We've been taught by our movie heroes that we should never admit weakness. Even if you know you're weak, never say that you're weak. Mature men and women simply don't do that. <laughs> Hogwash. I would say mature people do that. In fact, the child who assumes this philosophy would never have a meaningful relationship with their parents. And the child of God, the believer, who embraces this approach will never have a meaningful relationship with God. You need to admit you're in a mess and you can't fix it. Let's just, let's just back up for a second. Most of the messes we're in, we created ourselves. And if we created them ourselves, 
Even though the world says you got to pull up your big boy britches and get out of it, we can't get out of it. We're trapped. We're stuck. And so we cease all trust in the flesh. I, I can't handle this, God. I can't get out of this by myself. Did you know that praise, giving praise to God, is a death blow to the flesh? It is a denial of self-trust and pride and independence. So we need to reread this prayer of Jehoshaphat, and we need to memorize the line that says, we have no power. We don't know what to do. And then when you get to that, you can say that to God. Lord, I don't have power over this situation. And God, I don't know what to do. That brings us to step number three. We completely concentrate on God. I love verse 12. Do you all remember like four weeks ago in one of my sermons, I alluded to this story? Remember that? Two of you do. Thanks. Thanks for remembering. This is such an epic story. I had to come back and revisit it. But I love verse 12. We don't know what to do, Jehoshaphat said, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that awesome? God, I don't know what to do, but I'm looking to you. Really, this is the mood of all genuine praise. It is complete concentration on God. Listen, the severity of the problem was clear. The frailty of humanity was a fact. But now all eyes were on God. And here's the deal. If we look at our own problems and our own weaknesses and our own mess, and that's all we're looking at, we are doomed for despair. Because you can't get out of it on your own. Not so if we have preoccupation with God. The heart of praise is that we take our eyes off of our problems and our mess and we put our eyes on God who can solve those problems. Praise is not problem-centered. Praise is not human-centered. Praise is God-centered. So, church, if you don't get anything else I've said this morning, you need to get this nugget right here. Stop looking at your problems and your crisis and your situation and start looking to God. Take your eyes off of problems and turn your eyes toward praise. You've already stated your problem. God, I'm in a mess. I can't get out of it. I don't know what to do. I don't have the strength. Now, you're speaking praise to God. But my eyes are on you, Lord. And I know you have the answer. Number four, you continue before God. Verse 13 is pretty cool. It says, all the men of Judah with their wives and their children and their little ones stood before the Lord. Now, this is a vital part of the process which brings us through to victory. But it seems to be the least tolerable part of the process on our part. There is something in all of us which seems to be foreign to waiting. Let, let me just ask you, do you enjoy waiting Please talk to me. Do you like to wait? I don't know very many people who do like to wait. I mean, 
You, you know, you think as you get older, you don't mind it as much. I, I know some old people who are very impatient. They don't, they don't like to wait. I hate waiting. I mean, I hate waiting. I hate waiting at red lights. I hate waiting on people who are supposed to be on time. I, I don't like to wait at restaurants. I mean, are, are you like this? We, we get to a restaurant, and maybe we pull in the same time somebody else pulls in, and we're getting out when they're getting out, and I'll say to Angie, come on, let's hurry. We can beat them. <laughs> Anybody out there like that? Come on, raise your hand if you are. Yeah. We can, come on, Mom, come on, Mama, we can beat them. I mean, dude, we just, we just don't like to wait. But you know what? Waiting is a part of worship. Waiting is at the very center of the mood of praise. While we wait, what are we doing? We're looking to God. While we wait, we're praising God. This standing before God is a time of meditation and investigation and cleansing and consecration. How long are we to continue before God? How long are we to wait? <laughs> until. That's it, until. We are neither to light our own fire or try to manipulate the effects of our own causes. We are to wait on and concentrate on God. And here's what I've discovered. No time is lost when we're waiting before God. And when we're praising him. Because you know what? He's working in our lives. And he is working in the situation. And so we just wait. Number five, we confess the truth of God with praise. Between steps four and five, something awesome happens. They heard from God. While they are waiting, they hear from God. And here's what God told them in verse 15. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, it's God's. Wow, what a word from God. The response of Jehoshaphat and the people was to worship and praise the Lord with a very loud voice. I like that. Yeah. Then the king made a very important confession before the Lord and the people. This is what he said in verse 20. Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And all the people responded with this hearty, Amen, that was loud. Amen. Y'all try that, would you? One, two, three. There you go. That is a word of praise, by the way. Huh? That's a word of praise. What? They were confessing the truth of God with praise. God said, go out there and face them. Battle's not yours. It's God. What did they say? <laughs> Amen. Wow. Number six, commit to obey God. Verse 17. I'm, I'm just gonna, I have part of verse 17 on the screen, but I'm going to read the whole verse. Here's what God says. You will not have to fight this battle. Take your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord that he will give to you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Now, that verse is, is so impactful to me. 
because it's teaching me something about getting out of the mess that I'm in. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but here's, here's the way I am. There's a mess. Whether I created it or I'm drawn into it or somebody else made it and it's just fallen on my shoulders, but there is a mess. Here's what I pray to God. God, would you please clear up this mess? Would you please take care of things? Would you please deliver me out of this mess? Would you just, Lord, just, just, just do something miraculous. And really what I'm wanting to have happen is for me just to be excluded from this whole situation and I'm over here and here God is just taking care of this mess and, and I'm just over there enjoying him doing it. And I don't have to get my hands dirty. I don't have to have a confrontation with anybody else. I'm just smiling. God's taking care of it. Do you, I mean, are you like me? Do you, is that what you'd like God to do for you? I like it when God does it. Problem is, he never does that for me. And, and he didn't even do it for his people. Because here's what he told them twice. Go face your enemy. You get your army together and you march out towards them in the morning. You go face them. Don't worry about fighting them. The battle's mine. But you go face them. You go face them. I'm going to handle it. You obey me. You do what I tell you to do. It's trust and obey, man. That's trust and obey. And that's exactly what they did. They obeyed God. Early the next morning... They left for the desert of Tekoa. The king then appointed men to sing to the Lord on the journey. I don't know how far it was, but they had several miles to march. And so he appointed these men to march in front of the army. And they were to sing a one-line praise chorus. And here it is, found in verse 21. Give thanks unto the Lord, for his love endures forever. And here's this choir of men marching in front of the army on their way out to face their enemies. And what are they doing? They're giving praise to God. They're singing a song of praise. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And they kept saying it over and over and over again. They weren't just saying it, they were singing it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. I don't know if it was a jingly little tune like that, but they were singing it over and over and over again. Now, I love the music we have in second service, don't you? It's probably the reason you come to this service. It's awesome. First service is different. We have kind of Bill Gaither, gospel, happy music, and, and I love that music too. My favorite service is, just happens to be the one I'm in. Huh? But I love this. This is modern praise and worship music. But if people who don't like this kind of music usually give this reason for not liking it. it says, because they just sing the same thing over and over and over again. They've got one line and they just keep repeating that one line, singing that one line over and over and over again. Have you ever heard people say that about? Y'all don't because y'all like it. Yeah. But the people who don't like this kind of music, that, that's what they say about it. We, let me tell you, it's nothing new. 
I mean, I'm getting into this because the men of Judah were doing it in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. They were doing a modern praise song, singing the same line over and over again. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Here's what I want you to see, though. This is awesome. At the exact same time that they began praising the Lord, at the exact same time that they started praising God, listen to what God did. Verse 22. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. As soon as the people of Judah started praising God, God did something. Now this is awesome. Can I, this is cool. This for me is what makes 2 Chronicles chapter 20 such an epic chapter in the word of God. The people of God had not even reached the battlefront but their praises had reached the throne of God. And the result was that the men of Ammon and Moab turned on the men of Mount Seir and slaughtered them, totally annihilating the army of Mount Seir. Then, without explanation, the Ammonites and the Moabites turned on each other until all of the combined armies were dead. There is no other battle in the history of military conflict to compare to this battle. God did it. And when the men of Judah came to the place which overlooks the desert, and they gazed toward this vast army, all they saw were dead bodies. I kind of had an epiphany when I came to this part in my first sermon a couple hours ago, and, and here's what I said. Their mess, the mess of Jehoshaphat and the mess of the people of Judah, their mess became the mess. Out into the de- that was the mess. They were all dead. And how did it happen? I mean, how did this happen? Through praise. The central truth of 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is God can do some amazing things. God can fight your battles. But he's only going to do it if you start with praising him. And when you take your eyes off of your problems and put your eyes on God, and when you give God praise, God will deliver you. Can you say amen? Because that's how it works. Oh, yeah. There's seven steps, aren't there? Well, here's the final one. After God does this, you can go out and collect the, the, the bounty. You can collect the riches from the crisis. Verse 25, so Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder. This is the prize of praise. Praise does more than enable us to survive. It enables us to thrive. In fact, so great was the plunder from this battle that it took the people of Judah three days to pick it up. God had turned what might have been the saddest day in Judah's history into a day of celebration and a day of victory. And can I tell you something? 
God can do the same thing for you today. He can lead you out of the mess that you're in. And here's what it takes. You just state the problem to him. Come face to face with it. Say, Lord, this is the problem. And if you've created the problem, you tell God, Lord, I've made this problem. I did this. But not only that, you you cease all trust in the flesh. You say, Lord, the problem is here, but I can't do anything about it. I'm powerless to fix this on my own. And so, dear Lord, I'm trusting in you. I'm concentrating on you. And Lord, I'm just going to wait before you. I'm going to do what the the psalmist said. I'm just going to let my hands hang low and try not to fix this problem. I'm going to watch you do something. And then you confess the truth of God with praise. You commit to obey him no matter what he tells you to do. And you see God do great things. I'm about to shut up, but let me just tell you this. It works. This works. This is not some ancient story that is just found in the Old Testament for us to read and enjoy. This works. It works. Praise works. So whatever your problem is, Quit looking at your problem and start praising God. And you can get out of it.